please take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We will be finishing uh, Romans chapter 1 today as we venture still through uh, this wonderful, wonderful book, the Gospel of Paul, called the book of Romans. Today I want to speak to you on the topic of the progression of sin. The progression of sin. This is one of those sermons that uh, it's just a deep, hard sermon to talk about. We are dealing with very difficult passages, but you know, that's why I like walking through a book of the Bible, because you can't just skip, you can't just jump into uh, the, the verses that you really, really like. You, you have to deal with all of it, and so we come now, and Paul deals with a very, very deep, hard, difficult subject of sin and the progression of sin that we see. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word, Romans chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 18. This is the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us from it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are talking about the progression of sin, and, and Paul here opens up in verse 18. He talks about wrath, and he says, for the wrath of God. He makes a, a statement that, that the wrath of God is present, and when we think about wrath, we often think about anger, and when we think about anger, we think about our own anger, and, and if you get mad at someone, you know, normally you're not, I, I've never met someone that's just always mad, they're just always angry. Anger for humans is something that, when, when something makes us upset, something makes us mad, Anger begins to boil up inside, it overflows, we get over it, and the anger calms down. Well, that's not the anger of God. That's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God, the word here, the Greek word for wrath here is a consistency. It says that the wrath of God is always present against sin. Every time we sin, our sin is met with the wrath of God. Our sin is met with the wrath of God. When humans sin, it is met with God's wrath. It is met with God's anger. And it's not a, a God's okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then he boils up and gets mad and gets wrathful or, or angry. But no, the, 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 the word here is that God's wrath is always consistent against sin. His wrath is ever uh, eternally against sin from the beginning of time until now. His wrath is, is consistent. It's not an anger that boils up. No, it's a consistent high-level anger, wrath that comes against sin. Sin is always met with the wrath of God. And so he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the wrath of God is met when we sin. When we sin, we meet the wrath of God. And what is sin? Well, sin is the suppression of truth. That's point number one today. When we sin, that's where it all begins. It, it begins with us suppressing the truth, the truth of God's word, the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the truth that God exists. Yes, all of these things are, 
our truth. And he's talking about the gospel in the first 17 verses and, and the denial of the gospel that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. This is a suppression. When we suppress the truth, that's the beginning point of sin. The wrath of God begins when people suppress the truth. When we begin to take the Bible out of schools and, and out of our lives, and even Christians, even Christians today get most of their theology from the songs they sing instead of the Bibles that we are to read, we have a problem. The wrath of God burns against the people that suppresses the truth. In our society, feel free to talk about God all you want to. When you win a big game, thank God. When you win an award, thank God. But don't you ever think about mentioning the name of Jesus because as soon as you do, hell's fury has seen nothing but a culture that hears someone name the name of Jesus in public. Now church, hear me very clearly. I, I believe that as we are growing and we're, we're, we're moving, but our culture is suppressing the truth. I believe in a diversity of worship styles and churches doing everything possible to see lost people saved. However, there's a growing trend that I'm seeing among churches that is alarming me. Many churches are beginning to suppress the truth. Every church must guard herself against this, including Aloma. We must guard ourselves against this, this movement that is infiltrating many churches, and it's this notion that we must dumb down the church in order for us to look and sound like the world in order to reach the world. That's backwards. That's backwards. The church is not to transform and become like culture. No, the church is not to conform to culture. The church is to transform the culture in which she is in. To be a lighthouse to a dark world. When visitors come to a lonely church, they should be greeted with bigger smiles and warmer handshakes than what they would find at Disney World. It's true. It's true, that, that, that should happen. I'm serious, I, 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 believe that, I believe that we must change. We must always be thinking and praying about how we can reach lost people with the gospel and how, and, 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 and how we can go out and how we can do this and how we can reach people and we stand upon the foundation but, but we, we venture out and we reach people where they are. For example, our children's ministry and our student ministry, uh, they utilize technology for the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with, with utilizing technology in, in, in order to present the gospel. In corporate worship, we don't just sing hymns here at Aloma. We, we, we sing all types of songs, but you should know that every song that we sing here on Sunday is prayed over. I personally look at the lyrics of every song that we sing, and I, I compare it to Scripture. There's a lot of Christian songs out there we hear on the radio, and, and, other, and, and churches sing them, but they'll never be sung here in corporate worship because they're not biblical. That they may sound good, they may have a good tune, but we're not going to sing them here because they're not biblical. You see, we don't want to get to the place to where we say, do we really have to preach the word all the time? Can't you just stand up once, uh, once, one Sunday a month and just tell us 10 ways to have a better tomorrow? I mean, everybody else is doing it. All these other churches are doing it. Why, why do you always have to stand up and, and say, thus says the Lord? Why, why do you always have to use that Bible? Can't, can't you speak something on pop culture? Can't you, can't you do this? Can't you just suppress the truth for just a moment and, 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 and speak like that? See, that's where it begins. It begins with the suppression of the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's where sin begins. 
The progression of sin begins when we say, well, you know, we don't have to read the Bible every Sunday. We don't, it doesn't really matter if we sing worldly songs in church as long as it has a good meaning to it. You see, we begin to suppress the truth. Is it really that important? What's happening in many churches today is they so desire to embrace or to be embraced by the culture that they suppress the truth in order to be accepted. We must never be moved from our foundation, which is the inerrant and infallible word of God. We stand true on that. Sin is the suppression of truth, and God's wrath meets that. But sin doesn't stop with suppression. When you suppress the truth, something else then happens. When you say, well, we don't really have to read the Bible every Sunday, or, or do I really have to pray? Do I really have to go to church? Do, is it really important, the kind of songs, is it really important that, that I truly believe all the time uh, that, that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Can't, can't, what about my friend? He's a good guy. I mean, can't, wouldn't God allow him into heaven because he's a good guy? We begin to suppress the truth, and when we suppress the truth, it leads to a rejection of truth every time. When you suppress the truth and you begin to question truth, it will lead to a rejection of truth. When you suppress truth, it will lead to a rejection of truth. When we say we don't need God's word, we don't heed God's word, we don't follow God's word, that will lead us to reject God's word. When you reject the truth, you live a life that has no consequences. We see this in our world today, don't we? Living a life with no consequences, truth is relative, there's no absolute moral truth. Understand that God has revealed himself to us in two ways. One, through supernatural means, supernatural revelation. He's given us his word. We can know God, and God speaks to us from his word. It's supernatural revelation. But God has also spoken to us through natural means, not just supernatural, not just the word, but he speaks to us through creation. If you look at a sunrise or a sunset, you can't help but to see God. Look, look at human DNA and look at the intricacies of, of DNA, and, and you can't help but to see God. Look at the human eye. Look at astronomy. Look at the earth. If the earth was just a few feet closer to the sun, we would all burn. But if we were a few feet further from the sun, we would all freeze. Do you think that's just coincidence? No, you, you look at these things. You look at creation, and a creation screams there's a creator. If I bought a gallon of paint, if I went over to Sherwin-Williams and bought a gallon of paint, and I set it right here beside me, and I kicked that gallon of paint over, how many, how many gallons of paint do you think I would have to kick over? In order for us to see that when that paint spilled out, that it would create a masterpiece like the Mona Lisa? You see, we laugh at that because we know that in order to have a painting, it must require a painter. In order to have a masterpiece, there must be a master behind it. If you took your cell phone out and you gave me your cell phone and I took your cell phone apart, I broke it down to all the hundreds of pieces that make up your cell phone. And we put it into a bag, and we begin to shake that bag. How many years do you think it's going to take for you shaking that bag for all of the pieces of your cell phone to be put back together and be a working phone? I'll give you a million years. I'll give you a billion years. How many years do you think it's going to take? You say, well, that will never happen. Why? Because in order to have something created, it requires a creator. Created things require a creator. Helen Keller was born both blind and deaf. Ever heard of Helen Keller? Remarkable story, remarkable story. Born blind and deaf. And she learned how to talk and communicate and sign. All of these things. When she was learning how to talk, her, her teacher, 
uh, by the name of Ann Sullivan, began, she was a Christian, she, she began to share the gospel with Helen Keller, who, who could not see and she could not hear. And, and when her teacher, Ann Sullivan, began to teach Helen and tell Helen, she began to sign and, and, and she used her hand and, and taught her how to speak and, and how to communicate and sign and all of these things. And, and, and Ann Sullivan, the teacher, began to tell Helen Keller about God and about his son, Jesus. And you know what Helen Keller said? She said, oh, I know all about him. I just didn't know his name was Jesus. How is that possible? How is it possible that a person who has never seen before and has never heard before knew there was a God? Because God put it in each one of us. That's what Paul says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. Verse 19. God has shown us his creation. There's supernatural revelation. He's given us his word. But you don't just need his word. The, the, the handiwork of God, the creation screams that God exists. There's two areas of truth. Supernatural, the Bible. Natural, creation. And what is the world doing with both of these? They're trying to dismantle them both. You go ask students who are graduating and going to college. You ask your philosophy professor what they believe about the Bible. Ask your religion professor what they believe about the Bible. They're going to attempt to dismantle it. Why? Because they want to dismantle truth. They reject truth. If we can get supernatural revelation off the table, now we have just natural revelation. What is our world today saying about natural revelation? If you believe in the creation story, you're told that you are closed-minded, that you're living in the Stone Age. You know, any reasonable thinking person understands that, that we are all just products of evolution of millions and millions and billions of years. Reason and logic have taken the place of Bible and macroevolution has taken the place of creation. Don't you see what the world has done? The two areas where we get truth, they are attempting to dismantle them both. Because we suppress truth for so long, now we reject it. The world tells us we don't need God's word. We don't need the Bible. The Bible is not God's word, they say, so they take away supernatural revelation. Natural revelation, well, look at the creation. Well, they have an answer for that now, don't they? It's not a good one. But they try to answer it. And a whole lot of people are following. Why are they doing it? Because they're rejecting the truth. Verse 21 says that they don't honor him and they don't thank him. They don't honor God because if you honor him, they must be accountable to him. Sinners do not want to be accountable to God, so they don't honor God. They don't thank God because if you thank him, then you have to admit he's good. You don't thank someone that's not done something for you. You only thank someone who's done something for you. When someone does something for you, what do you say? Thank you. It says here in verse 21, they don't honor him. They don't thank him. Why? Because if you honor him, then you're accountable to him. If you thank him, that you're admitting that he's done something for you. So the world doesn't want to thank God or honor God. Verse 21 says they became futile in their thinking. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. The word fools here in verse 22 is the Greek word morano. It's where we get our word moron. Yes, moron is in the Bible. It's there. It's there. The Bible says the moron has said in their heart there is no God. 
It's the word Murano. It's the word fool. And he says the word, the, 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 the moron, the fool, has rejected him. Let me show you how foolish they are. What's Paul saying here? He's saying lost people have rejected God. They open their mouths. They've rejected God, but yet they open their mouths. They dishonor him, and they're ungrateful. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Let, let's recap for just a moment. People suppress the truth. Do we really have to preach the word all the time? Do we really have to obey God's word all the time? Can't we just go out and live life? Can't we just be a good person and try to do it our way? We begin to suppress the truth. When we suppress the truth, that leads to rejection of the truth. When we reject the truth and, and rejection, rejection happens. They're destroying supernatural revelation, the Bible. They're trying to destroy and dismantle natural revelation through evolution. And when they speak, they speak as fools. These people speak and they speak as fools. They, they know God exists, yet they dishonor him. How so? Have you ever noticed? That God's word is so relevant, isn't it? Have you ever noticed? I have friends that are atheists. And there's something very odd. Something very odd that, that happens that comes out of their mouth. They speak as fools. This is what Paul is saying here in verse 22 and 23. They speak as fools. Here's, here's what he's saying. Have you ever met an atheist or someone who doesn't believe in God? And when they stub their toe, what do they do? They curse God. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How in the world are you cursing someone in whom you don't even believe in? Isn't that something? A person who has rejected God speaks as a fool. He dishonors God. This, this is what Paul is saying. I, I wish I had more time to explore this point. I, I don't have enough time, but let me hit it, and then we're going to move on. Have you ever noticed that people do not curse by using the name of Muhammad? You don't stub your toe and say, oh, Buddha. It's only the Christian God. It's only the Christian Savior. You, you, when you curse, you, do, you think, do you think that's by accident? No, they speak as fools, Paul says. They, 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 they deny God. They don't honor him. They don't thank him. But yet they turn around and they speak blasphemies. They don't even believe he exists, but yet they curse him. How foolish. How, to use Paul's word, moronic you see when god is rejected when god is rejected we lose our moral and ethical compass this leads to a perversion of the truth we go from a suppression of truth which leads to a rejection of truth and then when you've completely lost all moral grounds when you've lost your foundation you find out where we are in our country today the truth is perverted you live however you want to there is no longer right or wrong. There is no male or female. There is no up or down. Everything is, there's nothing off limits. Everything goes. You see, when you remove God's standard, God's holy standard, when the foundation is removed, the building crumbles. We're seeing this before our eyes in America today. The foundation this country was built upon, God's word, has been forcibly removed, and what we're seeing now is perverse. When truth is removed... When God's taken out, there is no right, there is no wrong anymore. There is no moral standard. You take God out of the land, there is no more morals. Now, I'm a rules guy. I live and die by the rules. So when it comes to playing Monopoly, I cannot play Monopoly with my wife. I can't do it. Now, most couples, when they play Monopoly, they don't play with their spouse because one of them is very greedy, and they'll get boardwalk and park place, and when their spouse lands on it, they have the hotel, and, and they say, pony up, 
right? And the spouse is saying, but I've only got $300. I don't care. Pony up. It's $2,500. Big ones. You know how you win Monopoly? You know how you know you've won Monopoly? When you've royally made everyone else mad and they've all left the table and you're there cleaning up the Monopoly pieces by yourself. But I can't play Monopoly with my wife, not because of that. She does beat me all the time. She beats me every single time. But I, I've stopped playing with her. And the reason why is because when she was growing up, they played, they played Monopoly like this. Whenever you land on luxury tax, you know, it's $75 for luxury tax. You take the $75 and she puts it in the middle of the board. When you get community chess and it says pay the hospital $100, you get the $100 and she puts it in the middle of the board. And then when you land on free parking, you get all that money. Does anybody play like that? You're wrong too. That's not in the rules. It's not there. It's not there. You know, if you remove something, if you change the foundation, you change the game. If you change the rules, you change the game. If you remove something or you add something, it disrupts the original meaning. When you remove God, when you remove God, when you remove his word, you're left with a perverse people. And notice where the perversion leads. First of all, it leads to a spiritual perversion. Look at verse 23. We've not, we read verse 23 already, but notice what he says. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves. One of the biggest perversions in the world today is idolatry, false religion. When you suppress the truth and you reject the truth, it leads to perversion. And listen, friend, you will. Sinners do worship. Atheists do worship. Evolutionists do worship. Everyone is created with a propensity to worship. We all worship. Understand, every human being worships. Everyone pays homage to something or someone. We're created to worship. We're created to give ourselves to something bigger and greater than us. Fame, fortune, whatever it is, you do worship. And misplaced worship is a big deal. It's huge to God. Let me show you, what are the first three of the Ten Commandments? What are the first three? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. The first three of the Ten Commandments are all about worship. It's all about God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. In Exodus 32, we find the people, the Hebrews, they, they've left Egypt. They, they have crossed through the Red Sea, and they're, 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 they're waiting to walk into the promised land. Moses is up on top of the mountain speaking and talking to God. And, and, and while Moses is up on the mountain, the people of God begin to follow our, what we find here in Romans 1. They, they begin, we don't have time to, to dig into all of this. You can do it at home, Exodus 32. They begin with suppressing the truth. Do we really, do we really need the truth? Do we really have to have Moses? It went to rejection of the truth. Well, he's already gone. And they rejected him. And then it went to a perversion of the truth. They created a golden calf and they began to worship it. Listen to what verse 7 says. We have it on the screens for you. Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Notice, God's wrath is poured out against sin. That's what we said at the very beginning. 
the people suppressed the truth, they rejected the truth, they perverted the truth, and they began to pervert the truth through their false worship, and God's wrath met them where they were. God's wrath met them at their sin, their sinful worship. In the New Testament, you say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, let's look at the New Testament. In fact, let's look into our future. Revelation chapter 7, we find 144,000 Jews that are saved and sealed. God's going to save and seal 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and they're going to be uh, God's prophets and God's evangelists. But as you read through that, there's 12 tribes. 12 times uh, 12,000 is 144,000. So 12 times 12,000, 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. And that gets you the 144,000. You look back at the 12 tribes, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but as you look at the 12 tribes mentioned there in Revelation chapter 7, there's two tribes missing. In fact, what we find John in Revelation chapter 7 has done is that he has taken one of the sons of, of Joseph and Joseph himself, and then Levi is included amongst them. So what you find in Revelation chapter 7, two, the two tribes that are missing are Dan and Ephraim. Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned here. Nowhere else in the Bible do you find the tribes of Israel mentioned, but you're missing Dan and Ephraim. And I thought, and I prayed, and I thought, and I prayed, and I said, what in the world is going on? God, why is Dan and Ephraim not mentioned here in Revelation chapter 7? I studied, I read commentaries, I, I could not come to a realization of, of, of why they were missing until I walked in the land of Israel. You say, oh, did God speak to you in the land of Israel? Well, yes, he did that, but it was where I was at. We went up into what was the land, the city of Dan. And we hiked up, and the archaeologists have just uncovered what was called the high place. You see, Israel had began with three kings. You had Saul, who was head and shoulders above anyone in Israel. Saul messed up, and God replaced Saul with King David. King David was a man that was after God's own heart. He did mess up, but God used him. Because of his sin, God said, you're not going to build my house, but your son Solomon will build my house. Solomon became uh, king. He was the wisest man that the world has ever seen. But even in his wisdom, he committed sin. He committed atrocities. He turned from God. And because of his sin, when Solomon died, what happened to the nation of Israel? Civil war took place. Ten tribes went to the north, two tribes went to the south. The son of Solomon, who was the rightful king, his name was Rehoboam. He had two tribes in the south, including Jerusalem, which is where the temple was. Jeroboam, who was after the throne, who wasn't the rightful heir, Jeroboam wanted to be king. And so he took ten tribes and he went to the north. Now he had a problem, though. You see, Jews, when they worship, they worship at the temple. They go to the temple and they worship at the temple. And so Jeroboam, who took the ten tribes up north, he realized he had to do something. So what did he do? Second Kings tells us that Jeroboam set up two high places. One in Bethel, the house of God, Beth, Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethel, the house of God. He set up one in Bethel, which is in the province of Ephraim, and he set up another one in Dan, of the province of Dan. Now, I didn't realize this until I stood there in Israel and I saw it from my own eyes. And there in Israel, do you know what Jeroboam's high place was? I, I always thought of, you know, a stick with a, a golden calf on it because that's the pictures that we always were shown when we were growing up. That's not at all what it was. You know what it was? His high place was an exact replica of the temple that was in Jerusalem. Same dimensions, same everything. So when you, you can see the rubble there in the province of Dan today, that the high place that Jeroboam set up, he created an exact replica of the house of God in Dan and also in Ephraim. 
from that point, as soon as he built that, the prophets of God went and, and preached against Israel, preached against Israel, preached against Israel. Tear down these high places. God's only got one house. It's in Jerusalem. These are an abomination. They're an abomination. You are perverting our religion. You are perverting this. But they never listen. They never listen. They never listen. And from that point, God blotted out Dan and Ephraim from the pages of Revelation. You say, well, that's a pretty big deal. Exactly my point. God takes misplaced worship very seriously. Very seriously. We all worship, but our sin, when we reject truth, when we suppress truth, it's going to pervert truth, and we're going to worship whatever it is that we want to worship. And God's wrath meets it. Not only is there spiritual perversion, but there's also physical perversion. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to a dishonorable passion for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. Receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. There's no other way to read this passage other than to see that God is calling homosexuality sin. There's no other way. Homosexuality is a perverse and sinful lifestyle. Now while Paul is talking about homosexuality here. Let me say this. That homosexuality is not the only perverse physical perversion. Sinful perversion that happens. Anything that is done outside the confines of marriage between a man and a woman, any other sexual act that is done outside of the, uh, the intended relationship that God set forth in Genesis chapter 1 between a man and a woman, anything done outside the confines of that is sin. It's sin. It's unnatural. And Paul here tells us that homosexuality is a perversion, a sinful, unnatural perversion of what God called good. Paul calls it a shameless act, a dishonorable act. Remember what he said in verse 21, sinners have not honored God. How is it that we dishonor God through perversion such as this? How is it that homosexuals and sexual sin uh, dishonors God? Well, you dishonor God by dishonoring your body. We are created in the image of God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And physical perversion, physical perversion such as homosexuality that Paul mentions here is dishonoring to God. The very existence of it calls attention to man's fall under the wrath of God. So one could say that growth and acceptance of homosexuality in a culture such as ours is a certain reflection of sinful man and demonstration that the wrath of God is upon that society. Various studies and census data that I looked at says that uh, less than 4% of our country identify as LGBT. That's lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. These groups comprise less than 4%, yet they control the majority of the opinion. Why? Because America has forgotten her God. But because America has suppressed the truth for so long that they begin to reject the truth. When you reject the truth, everything falls, everything goes, anything goes, and the truth becomes perverted. No one cares about right or wrong. All we care about is, it, does it make me feel good? Am I happy? Am I satisfied? A people who don't fear the Lord and his word will certainly face his wrath. And God will give a nation over to their sinful lifestyle. May God help our country. May God have mercy on us. Right now, some of you are uneasy. You're squirming because you don't like the fact that I called homosexuality a sin. 
you know somebody who's gay. Maybe you have a son or a daughter that's gay. And you say, well, they're not a bad person. Look, I, my intention here is not to preach homophobia. That's going to help no one. However, what I want us, what I want to help you to see is that God's word calls this sin a sin. It's a choice. Satan tempts us with all different ways, doesn't he? Sitting in this room are hundreds of men bombarded with sexual imagery on the internet every day. Every time you sit down on the internet, you're bombarded. You face the lure of Satan in the guise of pornography. That's a perversion. It's sinful. Now, the temptation to watch is not the sin. It's the succumbing to the temptation that's the sin. The temptation for homosexuality is not the sin. It's the succumbing to that temptation that's the sin. I don't buy the fact that people are born gay. I don't believe that at all. I believe that we are born with propensity towards certain sins. For example, in, 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 in my DNA, my father, my father's father, my father's father's father, all the way back five generations have been addicts of some sort or another. Now, when I was born, just because I was born to a father who had an addiction, does that, and, and, and I was born with a propensity toward addiction, does that make it okay for me then to follow that propensity and to be addicted to something? Well, no. Now, I was born with that propensity towards that, but it does not make it okay for me to drink. It doesn't make it okay for me to become an alcoholic. I was not born an alcoholic. Now, I may have been born with propensity towards that. People may be born with a propensity towards all kinds of sexual perversions, but it does not make it okay to fulfill the flesh's desire. We're not born labeled alcoholics, or gays, that's a choice. You may be born with a propensity towards it, but you have a choice to do it or to reject it. With that said, it's not my intention to shame anyone. It's my intention to draw our attention to the word of God and to yield to it, to follow it. The Bible says the heart's full, the sinful heart is full of perversion. My job is not to shame you, but to tell you to repent of your sin. We're not here to shame. But at the same time, let's also not back down from Scripture. Let us pray and ask the Lord to give us the words to say, the willingness to stand in the face of a culture that's becoming more and more perverse every day. Finally, there's mental perversion. The spiritual perversion, see, see, what, see what sin affects. See where sin, how, how sin grabs a hold of every fiber and every part of our being. We are triune as God is triune, right? God is triune, he's trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God manifested in three persons. We too are triune. We are created in the image of God. When God created man, he created us in his image. What that means is he created us triune as God is triune. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God manifested in three persons. We too are triune. We are body, soul, and spirit. Not three persons, but one person who has three parts. Body, soul, spirit. And I want you to see what Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, that sin infects every fiber, every one of those three parts that make us up in who we are. He begins by saying it perverts our worship, it perverts our spirit, our heart. Then it perverts our body. We, we give our bodies over to, to perverse living, to sexual acts. So it infects our spirit, it infects our body, but it also infects our soul, our psyche, our mind. The, the word soul is the Greek word psyche. We get psychology from it, study of the mind. Notice what he says in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased what? Psyche, mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. He goes on. The, many commentators try to group these sins and say, well, there's this type of sin there. It's this type of sin. I, I, I think that's, that, that misses the point. Paul is saying here that when we pervert the truth, when we live in sin, it messes up our mind and what we think is right is actually wrong and what is wrong is actually right. Here he lists out a whole litany of sins. And I believe that what the apostle is doing here, what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us is that notice in this litany of sins that we just said that, that it talks about gossips and disobedience to parents in the same breath that talks about murderers. We put a hierarchy to sin, but in God's, in God's eyes, when we sin, it's met with God's what? Remember? God's wrath. When we sin, it is met with God's wrath. And so no matter how it is that we sin, no matter how it is that we, we, we turn over to a debased mind, that word debased uh, literally means an untrustworthy mind. Sinners cannot trust their minds. Say, boy, I sure am glad I came to church today. Yeah, great sermon. All about sin. Now, I could close it off and, and we could be done, but I, I want to give you the hope. Because there is hope. On the screen, Psalm 85, verse 1 says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. What, what, what David is writing here in the Psalms is he says that God has covered over all of our sin, that, that, that his wrath that is burning against sin, remember when we sin, God's wrath is consistent, God's wrath is constant. When, when sin happens, it's wrath, 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 wrath. But the psalmist says, God, cover over that sin, cover over that sin. How is sin? You say, how in the world, how can I have a relationship with God if when I sin, and I am a sinner, we established that last week, when I sin, it's met with the wrath of God, how in the world can I then have a relationship with God? That's the million dollar question. John writes in 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the propitiation not only of our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down that word propitiation. It's a word you need to know. That means appeasement. Now, I know that we don't, we don't talk much about that word propitiation. I have yet to see hashtag propitiation on Twitter. I, I, we just don't use that word. We don't use that word. But the word propitiation, it, it means appeasement. Some of you guys are about to tweet it out, aren't you? Hashtag propitiation. Propitiation, what does it mean? It means appeasement. What, what is it that is appeasing? Let's back up. When I sin, it is met with what? God's wrath. What Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and when he became sin, 1 John 2, 2, Christ is our propitiation. Christ is not only propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. What the propitiation is, what he satisfied is the wrath of God. So the, the wrath of God is coming like floods, it's coming like torrents against sin. And so the floods of God's wrath is coming and coming and coming and coming. But the, when Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, he, he was the propitiation. He was the appeasement. A great gulf came, and it swallowed up the wrath of God. And so now when God looks at us and we sin, he no longer, when you're a 
Christian, he no longer says, here's the wrath, here's the wrath. No, what Jesus did was he stood in our place. He appeased the wrath of God. He swallowed up the wrath of God. So now when God looks at us, he sees his children, not his enemies. That's what Jesus did for us. He became our propitiation. He appeased the wrath of God. So here today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I do not know why you would walk out of this place and not know that you know that you know. Let me ask you, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? If you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If you don't know how to answer that question, and if you answer that question because I'm a good person, that's wrong. That's wrong. You may be a good person. You may be a good person. But I would not want to risk my eternal security on being good or on my own credentials. You see, Jesus came and did something that we could not do. He appeased the wrath of God. He is our propitiation. He swallows up the wrath of God. All you have to do is receive him now by faith.